Greetings, folks, and welcome to episode 79 of the Far Beyond Metal podcast. I'm your host and guide on this metal journey, Daniel Cordova. In this episode, Cami Gilbert of Oceans of Slumber discusses her first band, and I recommend Brazil's Leatherjacks. Before all that, I welcome Thomas Youngblood from Camelot to the show. Thomas is the guitarist and mastermind of the long-running Floridian power metal masters Camelot. Camelot launched in the 80s as Camelot with a C, and throughout their 30-plus years, Thomas has been the only member from the beginning. In 2018, Camelot played the 13 venue in the Netherlands, which is a favorite of the band's. And they recorded the show for an upcoming live album called I Am The Empire Live From The 13. That is 013. The show saw the band playing a career-spanning set with guests like Eclipse, Elise from Amaranth, Alyssa from Arch Enemy, Lauren from Once Human, Sasha from Aventasia, and past Far Beyond Metal guests Charlotte Wessels from Delane. This record will be released on August 14th via Napalm Records. Thomas came on to talk about everything that went into this live album, collaborating in general, working with his kids, the upcoming Camelot book, and a lot more. Before I dive into my chat with Thomas from Camelot, here are some of the I Am The Empire version of The Phantom Divine, which features Lauren Hart from Once Human. today fantastic how are you not too bad myself sorry i'm kind of poking at audio so lightly distracted but getting there there we go all right Groovy. okay <laughs> so uh how is your uh how's your covid19 life been the last few months i know f- you're are you in florida still i'm in florida so how- the epicenter <laughs> yeah i talked the new to- epicenter <laughs> i talked to a guy from another band who uh recently transplanted himself to florida and he said you wouldn't really know it so uh what's your experience with it i guess i mean it all depends on what you want to do personally like we don't go out to dinner we don't really we pretty much stay home anyway um and for me it's not a big deal because i don't have like a traditional job where you go to an office or whatever but um you know, it's it's a little weird, of course, and it doesn't doesn't look good to see these numbers rising, especially with school coming back. Because I have two kids in school still, um, but other than that, you know, we just kind of do our own thing personally and wear our mask and clean our hands and try to be responsible. You know, so no Disney World for you in the near future. No Disney World for now. We'll have to wait. Maybe <laughs> maybe next year. <laughs> uh, how have you been keeping busy in all this? Um, well, we're working on, uh, the new album for, that's going to be released probably in summer next year. Cool. Um, so we've been kind of fortunate that the timing for this, for us as a band, it's not as, um, you know, it's not killing shows like a lot of our, our friends, uh, 
it has been. So we've been working on the new album, and um, we're doing everything pretty much remotely. Back in January, our keyboard player, Oliver, he flew over here, and we worked for a couple of weeks on songs. We had kind of a building block from there, but um, that's that's basically what we're focused on this year is getting a new album ready for uh, for next year. I skimmed your website and saw that there are some dates for South America in September. How do you feel about those? Or do you think you'll even be allowed to at this point? Yeah, I mean, right now we can't go anywhere, especially Brazil. So um, obviously we're looking at possible rescheduling dates for that. Um, It'll be the second time we've rescheduled it. And to be honest with you, I'm not really uh, surprised. Um, But when we do reschedule, it'll be probably mid-2021 that way. If things aren't fixed by then, the whole music business is going to be in shambles. Uh, so, um, yeah, I, I don't expect I'll be in Brazil this year. Let's put it that way. That's oh, unfortunate. Yeah, uh, it is. So, what is the general vibe of the uh, the newest thing that you guys are working on? And we're gonna we're gonna get to the, the live thing, but I'm I'm curious how has this is this a new approach for you guys to write? Because you said somebody had to fly in in, in the beginning of the year, but is remote mm-hmm. uh, a new method for you? Kind of. I mean, I, we've done things remotely, um, but we always mix that with in-person, you know, songwriting sessions. I'll go to Germany for a couple of weeks or Oliver will come over here. And um, we had we had planned to go to Canada where Tommy's living now, our singer. Um, actually, we, we had planned to go like in a couple of weeks. Um, that might still happen if uh, if it's possible, like in a couple of months. I mean, we basically have the entire year to work on songs, which is um, something that we've never had before, probably since, you know, the, the first album really. But, um, so there's no substitute for doing things in person. Um, so it is a little bit different right now, but I think at the end of the day, we'll, we'll figure out a way to get together at least for a couple of weeks. Has, I'm, I'm sure you've kind of been able to cope with this, but is being part of an international band like difficult for you? Not at all. I mean, basically, I don't really even think about, you know, the people in the band being from different countries. We're basically all guys that have a similar taste in music. Um, We have a similar philosophy about the way things are in the world. So we don't really separate ourselves like I am German, you're American, you know. Um, So it hasn't been difficult, at least culturally. Uh, Of course, with flying and things like that, it's always a little bit uh, more expensive, I guess you could say. But, um, you know, we keep in touch really, really tight with everybody. I mean, every day or every other day, I'm speaking with Tommy, our singer, who is originally from Sweden. But like I said, he's living in Canada now. So, um, yeah, it's it's really not difficult at all. I mean, everybody speaks good English, luckily luckily for me. (laughs) And I can speak some broken German, but uh, other than that, it's it's not an issue. How's your Swedish? Eh? Uh, non-existent. <laughs> Tusen talk is about all I know. Like you know, thank you. But uh, um, the thing about the Swedes and the same with Norwegians, uh, their English is just so good that you never ever need have, feel the need to have to learn it, um, which is which has been great for me. <laughs> yeah, doing this show, I've talked to people all over the world, and like I've. I, very rarely are people like stumped on a word and it makes me feel stupid as somebody that can struggle through Spanish or struggle through German. Yeah. Right. Um, well, I, well, I had a, a member of the, uh, of the band from Norway and he used to play Scrabble with us, you know, 
So and he was really good at it. And just, just like beating Americans at Scrabble. And it's not even his first you know, language. It's pretty funny. Uh, to change gears a bit, uh, I Am The Empire is dropping next month, which is the new live album and like live video of the band. Um, the clips I've seen from it so far are like, wild, like wildly elaborate. Was this all for the one show or is your entire tour like this? Well, we didn't have all those guests on the entire tour, but our, our production in Europe is pretty similar to that at, at probably 50% of the venues that we can play in Europe. Um, and so we wanted to definitely capture that kind of place and time where the band is uh in terms of production size and, and venues and things like that um so like i said i mean that's kind of the production we're trying to do in europe for for most of the venues but we had those special guests that were a one-off for this dvd which i think makes it extra special and this was shot in the netherlands correct yeah it was in tilburg netherlands at the o13 it's uh one of our favorite venues um one of the reasons that we we picked the Netherlands for this was uh, first that venue is amazing, and second we've been, you know, had sold out shows in, in Holland for like ten years in a row, and we're just like, hey, if we're going to do this, we should definitely do it in Holland. And how challenging was it to get all these guests? Because you've got, I think, five or six people who joined you. I, I imagine not super hard with Charlotte, but maybe the others. <clears throat> I mean, it's been it was hard with all of them because you know it's a prime time of the year for touring. That's it was a Saturday, I believe, and we also had Friday where we did a full kind of rehearsal at the same venue so being able to get everyone's schedule open for that prime day of the year was difficult and we actually had talked about doing it on a previous tour and it just wasn't going to happen and i wanted to have this exact lineup and so we waited um you know we there was other things we waited for as well but um when everybody's schedule was open on that day that's where i set that that venue and that that uh, time and then we built the tour around that particular day so um it worked out great it was it's crazy that everybody was able to do it but it was totally worth the wait for me and you you mentioned that the band's already like looking forward to the next thing but how is it revisiting the set almost two years later for you as like a creative person or just like you know someone who was there um yeah you know it's like the the concert to me, when we did the concert, I didn't feel rushed to put this out, you know. Um, some of these songs we've been playing for years, like March of Mephisto, for example, um, Rule the World. But we wanted to focus this uh, set list on songs from Silverthorn to today, and we kind of made that a point on the on the uh, concert. And when I look back, I think that the, it was a perfect balance of what, you know, fans that we have that are new and then fans that are older that We'll, we'll like hearing the the older stuff you know when you see march of mephisto with Alyssa, uh, it's just uh timeless and that's that was one of the things that we kind of wanted to go into this dvd saying let's create something that in 10 years we can look back on and be proud of and i think we were able to achieve that and this is your first live document of, in 14 years what so it's just like something felt right about this time and you had all these other connections and stuff well, we did a DVD called uh, One Cold Winter's Night. I think that was in 2006, 2007. Was it, is, that, is that 14 years ago? Uh, for the release, <laughs> yeah, it would be 14 years. Time's weird, isn't it? <laughs> That's so crazy. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, we've been wanting to do it, but um, I knew there would be a certain budget needed to do something like this. Um, and whenever we talk to record labels, they're like, oh, we can offer you this. I'm like, no, nah, I'm not going to do this and, and 
lose money on it. I want to spend every penny I get, but I'm not going to lose money on it. And Napalm stepped up, and our record company in Japan, King Records, stepped up, and that's when we were able to say, okay, let's do this. And that was probably three or four years ago we started planning things. And, um, yeah, that's that's it, it's more about doing things right and not just doing something to do it. Mm. Um, and for me, it's like I would rather not do something if I can't do it right. And that's kind of a philosophy I've had with Camelot from day one. And I think it's an important uh, part of, you know, having a certain standard and, and integrity with what we do. How involved with editing were you? Very involved. Uh, <laughs> um, I mean, Jens DeVos is the director and, uh, you know, the, the main guy at um, Panda Productions. They did the, the shooting. And I really trusted him to, to do the, the first versions. And then he would send us stuff and we would make little edits here and there. For the most part, we kept what he originally did. But there's probably like nine versions from the first one of just, you know, slight little camera angles here and there or whatever and um so yeah i was definitely involved with uh basically everything from the artwork to the to the mix to everything did you spot any mistakes when you were going through the edits that either you or somebody else made and are they going to haunt you forever <laughs> no way no way uh everything was perfect um, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, of course, there's little mistakes here, but that's part of, of I mean, that's why it's live, you know. Yeah. Um, and I kind of embrace those kind of things now, where maybe like 10 years ago, I would have been like, uh, we can't do that, or we got to fix this or that. But I I think now I look back uh, on things like that, and I think, you know, what's the, is it really going to matter, and is it is it worth the stress, you know? Uh, so... And that's another thing when we did the DVD, the rehearsals, we did a, a night before we didn't rehearse with the people really. We just said, Hey, this is the song you're going to come out on. Maybe you come out from over here and over there. We didn't really go through the songs with the guests. Um, you know, but there, it was, you know, just kind of rough rehearsals because we wanted everything to be raw and had that nervous energy that, you know, that you really get at a real concert. Um, so we didn't over rehearse things so that it it looked like it was it was fresh, uh, not robotic. And so we kind of went into that whole this whole thing and it, with a little bit different approach than we did the one 14 years ago. And you've been in the game for a while. Do you still get nervous going on stage, or is this like a special thing? So now you got nervous. Mm-hmm. Um, I got a little nervous on this one, but in general, I don't get nervous. Um, I always. Uh, I'm really happy to be able to do what I do. And I always think like, what's the worst that could happen, right? I fall off a stage or I break a string or. Have you fallen <clears> off stage? I haven't fallen off stage. I've fallen off a drum riser. Um, our singer, Tommy has fallen off stage and actually in Arizona, uh, the, uh, marquee, <laughs> there's like a weird staircase to the left and right of that stage. And it, it's like a black hole. If you don't know it's there, you fall into it. Um, <laughs> I've fallen off the drum riser, though. I tried to jump on the drum riser. You know how you can jump on the drum riser and stand there? Well, I didn't have enough momentum to carry me to the top of it. So I, as I was, <laughs> as I went up to kind of say hi to the drummer, I started falling backwards, and I landed in the, in the uh, wedges on the front. Oh. I remember that was a show in, in Sterling, Virginia. I remember that like it was yesterday. I was probably like 12 years ago, but 
That's the only time I've fallen off stage. So those are, are off the, of a riser. Those are the mistakes <laughs> that haunt you more so than the recorded ones. <laughs> they don't haunt me. It was also fun because I uh, that night I had a few drinks. So I didn't really feel anything until the next day. My oh, elbow had oh. a big bruise on it. But... <laughs> Ghost Opera from Camelot. I'll have more Thomas Youngblood in a moment, but first, this is my first band. Every musician has to start somewhere in this episode. Cammie Gilbert from Oceans of Slumber discusses her musical origins. <laughs> Do you already know? Like, <laughs> Yes, I love these sort of beginning rambles. I don't know anything about it. I'm going to be like, oh, what first band? No, so this, the first official band that I was in was called Miles to Glory. And it was like a alt-rock kind of band. Um, Who would you compare we it were, to? Uh, like Paramore. Cool. Less poppy. Oh. If, if just for something off of, like, because they wanted me to, like, bring all this female energy and the songs were pretty fast-paced. We are very amateur. Like, nobody had performed or been signed or anything like that they're like fully just like a dive bar rock band um way less popular i would say than like paramore but just in that vein it was like not not going anywhere but <laughs> like, like everyone's a great band but not really like fully the direction that i was aspiring to i think we did we were together maybe like a year if that long and it was that's how Dauber found about about me. My so my band had a jam room that sh- was shared with a band called Anova Skyway. That's uh, oh, I just had them on my show sort of recently. Yeah, yeah. So they that band shared the shared members and the jam room for Miles to Glory, and then next door was Oceans of Slumber. And so everybody knew who Oceans of Slumber was. And, like, if you were in Houston and you are in Metal or Rock, like, you knew who Oceans of Slumber was. And so kind of being new to being in, like, the band and, and metal scene, 
I would hear them, and then we would kind of, like, hang out in there, and I'd be like, okay, cool. Like, that, that band's too legit to quit. And so then, one day, Miles to Glory got invited to do, to play on, on the same bill as Oceans, and it was, like, a metal bill, and I was like, absolutely not. I was like, we're not metal. This is gonna be insulting. Like, we have no <laughs> business, like, being there. Like, why would you do this? But it was, it was because other people in the band were in the other band. And I think Anova played, and so it was just like, all right, well, if everybody insists on doing it. And so I remember him standing right in the middle with his arms crossed, and I thought, like, that guy in particular hates us. <laughs> like, that one, that's the one I was talking about. These metalheads are going to be like, get out of here. But that was just his serious face. I would come to find out that was just his serious face. And he... Watch this play, and then sent the singer at the time to ask me if I would be interested in doing a collaboration and doing a duet for some songs that would turn into winter songs. But then when that singer left, they were like, we'll just do all the songs. And so it was it was rather layered, but that was the beginnings. And then that band is like that band dissolved like Miles dissolved well before I did anything with Oceans. Like it, it wasn't the longevity was not gonna be there with the the general group. Was <laughs> at his the time. was his opening line? Hey, misery business is my jam. I like your take on it, sort of thing. <laughs> no, he was just like <laughs> he was like, what is what are you doing singing for a band like that? And then he's just saying he's like, I think you could you could do a lot darker and a lot bigger. He's like, but we got to get a band behind you that like knows that they're knows what they're doing first i was like dang fighting words and then <laughs> then he's all well let's go to the studio I was like okay i appreciate the fighting words that wound up being a relationship it's beautiful really yeah <laughs> yeah he knew he knew what he wanted out of out of my voice and i was like i don't know how you heard what you hear now then because i didn't have any ears i didn't even have a wedge like giving me my own sound I was blowing out my voice like ever. I've learned so much since then about performance. I was like, you definitely had an ear because <laughs> it was a mess. So. Oceans of Slumber's self-titled album will be out via Central Media Records on September 4th. Pre-order your copy now over at oceansofslumber.com. Now here are some of Camelot's Sacrimony from the I Am The Empire Live from the 13. This version features guest vocals from both Alyssa from Arch Enemy and Elise from Amaranth. Like you mentioned,
mentioned in the live DVD and also on the albums, you've had a lot of guests over the years. Who are some dream collaborators that you would like to work with, either in metal or not? Um, you know, I, I want to work with Tina Guell. She's a cellist. She's also toured with Hans Zimmer. Um, she's really cool and also likes metal. Um, there's a singer in Norway named Mar- Marion Raven that I've been a fan of for like 20 years who I would love to have on one of our songs. Uh, you know, um, we've been pretty fortunate to have a lot of, a lot of amazing friends that are also really killer artists, um, over the years. But for this album, we're not really thinking too much about like who will be a special guest or if we'll have a special guest, etc. And a lot of times those things just happen organically. We're like, we're recording a song and there's a part where it may be a female vocal would be good. And we're like, Hey, who, who would be cool for this? And then either myself or our producer will, will give somebody a call that we are thinking about. And usually it works out, which we've been very fortunate over the years to, to be able to do that. Very cool. Uh, I, I was reading through some stuff and I saw some recent or not recent. Well, some recent anyway, uh, previous guests have included both of your kids, uh, to some degree in, on the albums. Is it difficult to get them to participate in their dad's band? And what do they think of what you do in general? Well, my daughter is now 17, but I think she was probably, let's see, that was 15 years ago. So she was, she was super young when she was on the black halo album. Um, we were just, (laughs) She couldn't say no. We were tickling her, and part of it was what was about a little little girl laughing, and then she also did a, a nursery rhyme on one of the songs. Um, and my son Thomas is kind of a natural performer, um, so he's like all into all different kind of music, from from metal to EDM to everything. He's only ten right now, but he sings, and so he was totally into doing this uh, this choir on Burns to Embrace, and then we flew him over for the show. Um, and it was just so cool to see him on stage with me and a little, little nepotism going on there. But you know, <laughs> if, if he couldn't sing, I wouldn't have had him. So at least I, I can say that, but it's really important that the family is, is part of this. And, um, here you can play tambourine. Sorry. You can't. Sing. Yeah. Here's tambourine. Stand over there. No. Uh, but in general, they think it's cool that, you know, and also they're, they're able to travel sometimes with me. Like, um, before the last Japanese tour, we went over to Japan for 10 days as a family and it was just amazing. Um, so little things like that are really important to have a balance with this, this kind of, uh, job and lifestyle. Otherwise, you know, it's, it's, um, it's cool to do what I do, but I also want to include my family in, in some parts of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I read an interview that was shared on the Camelot website that um, you were offered a book deal. How is said book going and what sort of book are you writing? <clears throat> um, yeah, we were approached about doing a book, uh, kind of like a essentials Camelot book from beginning to now to the future. And I put that on hold during this whole COVID thing because I just, it's a lot of, uh, there's a lot to do regarding a book in terms of interviews and things like that. And, and like I said earlier, if I'm going to do something, I want to make sure it's 100% right. So we're still discussing different ideas for a book, but it's not going to happen this year probably because of everything that's going on. Um, but I look forward to doing that. I think it'd be very cathartic to, to do a book and, uh, dig deep into the, the the roots and everything from the beginning and and uh, all the things we've been through over the years. I think it'd be fun. 
do you expect a version of the, of uh, Motley Crue's The Dirt about Camelot, or is this going to be more <laughs> historical, I guess, than... Yeah, it'll yeah. be more historical. I'm not a big uh, controversy guy. I, mean, I could be, but it's not my thing, <laughs> you know. Also, um, I'm also not big on nostalgia. Um, and if, if, the, if, you know, fans of the band will know that we are, we're always kind of forward thinking and focusing on, on today and the future and uh, that's why our set list is usually new, the new album, not, you know, um, a tribute band kind of approach. Uh, and I think it's important for, for the growth of the band to always, like, have, you know, be thinking about what we're going to do next and where we're going to go and the growth of the band, not rest too much on our laurels. And, um, yeah, I think it's fun. So you're not a band that would do, like, a anniversary tour of, like, some old album or something? Exactly. No. Um I don't see that happening. You know, it's been talked about with the Black Halo, an album we did in 2005, like a 30-year anniversary or something like that. But I don't see the point of it, honestly. I, like I said, I, I, it would be a money grab probably if it if it was anything. And it's just not my approach to this. Um, I'm always excited about the new material that we're coming up with. And like right now, the new stuff that we're doing, I'm very excited about for, for next year. So, um as long as that is, is kind of pushing me, then our tours and everything will usually be focused on, on new material. Well, should things open back up in like, you know, 2023 and you're hurting, you could always do the, the, <laughs> the anniversary tour. Just one time, That's get right. some money, you know, refund, get, get back out there, be creative. I ended, Yeah. Yeah, let's hope that things are back in 2023. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I mean, you could adapt. Have you considered doing like a stream show like people have been doing? I think Trivium just did one that was pretty successful last week. Not really. I, I, that's not, I don't know, like the whole drive-in thing and the streaming. And I just don't, that's not why. I, I mean, part of the reason that we do this is is because we love the energy between the fans and us, you know. Um, if we absolutely had to do that, we would do it, of course, and that sounds kind of stupid to say like we would do it if we had to, but um, I would rather wait till we can do it right, you know, and which hopefully will be after the summer of next year is what I'm thinking, you know, Um, for sure the U S it won't be till 2022. Yeah. That's when our next uh, North American tour is planned for probably the spring of 2022. So if things aren't, like I said earlier, if things aren't, uh, you know, back in place by then then there's going to be a lot of closed venues and you're looking at a whole nother game here Um, but i think at some point uh it's got to turn around it's gonna it's gonna come down to uh some smart people figuring out what the hell to do i just want to i want to thank all the fans out there for their support and um it's just you know it's massive to, to have that kind of uh fan base like that
can get a copy of I Am the Empire Live from the 13 by Camelot on August 14th via Napalm Records. Pre-order it now in a variety of bundles over at Camelot.com. Now, to end this episode, I'm going to recommend a listener-submitted band called Leatherjacks. Leatherjacks is the one-man hard rock and classic heavy metal project from multi-instrumentalist Maru Cordeiro. Leatherjacks launched in 2016 in Sao Paulo, Brazil. Maru released his second Leatherjacks album, Extremely Dangerous, in April of 2020. From said album, here is Spells and Zombies Through the Night in its entirety. Yeah. 
You can find Extremely Dangerous by Leatherjacks now on Apple Music, Spotify, and all those sort of outlets. For more on the band, head to leatherjacksofficial.com. Now, if you were in a band and you'd like to be on the show like Leatherjacks have been, you can email me over at farbandmetaldan at gmail.com. You can also head to farbandmetalpodcast.com. There's a band submission area that uh, Maro used. Uh, you can also follow me on Facebook at facebook.com slash farbandmetal, Twitter at underscore farbandmetal, Instagram at farbeyondmetalpod. And as always, the theme song is Far Beyond Metal by the band Strapping Young Lad from their album The New Black, courtesy of Century Media Records and Devin Townsend himself. Thank you for listening. A Catbox Production.